Hey there, I'm Jo, and this is Looking Outside, the podcast that explores new perspectives beyond the familiar. I am a CPG innovator, and with this show, I'm seeking a fresh take on business topics with some of the most influential and original thinkers. If you find yourself curiously peeking over the fence at what is happening outside your market, industry, or field of knowledge, then this show will help you to explore more of that. Hello, curious people. In today's show, we are doing something quite rare. We're speaking to the founder of a successful startup. We'll learn about the courage that it takes in breaking away from the mold, the resilience that you need to persevere through challenges, and the mindset needed to create something truly new. I am incredibly humbled to be speaking today with the wonderful Julie Meyer. Welcome to the show, Julie. Oh, thank you so much, Joe. I'm so, so excited to be here. It's already the highlight of my week. And it's <laughs> same, only Tuesday. Same for me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's amazing to have you on the show. So for those of you who don't know Julie, Julie will get you to tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, absolutely. Oh my gosh, such a pleasure. So I would say, you know, I'm Julie Meyer. I wear two hats, one very big hat and one new smaller hat. So I am the founder and the co-CEO of Eat Well Global. We're a communications agency that works in the food nutrition space. And we're on a mission to empower global change agents in food and nutrition, like you, Joe. And I also had a pandemic project that's kind of evolved. And I'm the co-founder of an organization called Augmenters, whose mission is to augment the mentoring experience and create a shared language around mentoring. I am very proud resident of the great borough of Brooklyn, New York. Amazing. So you have a couple of things to touch on there, you know, particularly with Eat Well Global, but then also Augmenters. So we'll we'll get into that as well, which is amazing. But I'd love to know, you know, when you started Eat Well Global, so taking us right back to the beginning and Eat Well Global has been around for 11 years now, right? Yeah, actually, this is 10. It was a different company that it started Mm. off as. We are currently basically a consulting firm, but the company started as a travel app company. I was creating travel apps like Lonely Planet Guides written by dietitians all over the world. And then I quickly realized that that was an awesome business, but that was not an awesome business for me because Mm. I really love my sort of personal mission is developing and maintaining great relationships. And a lot of those happen personally, but a lot of those happen professionally. And I found when you create an app and sell it on the app store you don't get to develop a lot of relationships and you don't get to really know people. So it was successful in the sense that it helped me further hone and refine what I really wanted to dedicate my time doing. That's incredible. So even just the ability for you to have gone, well, this is a great idea and probably could generate, you know, a profitable business model for me, but it's not right for me. I imagine that takes a lot of self-awareness and moments of pause where throughout your journey before you've started your business, you had that point of reflection where you thought, what actually gives me a lot of energy? What do I enjoy doing? Probably what what don't I enjoy doing that you were pulled into at times? Oh my gosh, 100%. I call it warmer, warmer, colder, colder. 
Some people Mm. call it kind of your internal voice or, you know, but for me, it's like, when are those moments that you feel on top of the world? I get like kind of a shiver in my body when I'm just like, right, exactly doing what I want to be doing. I feel at this moment, uh, because I love talking (laughs) about this. Um, And then you have those moments where you're like, oh my God, all I'm thinking is like, I want to check my phone. I want to see what the sports scores are. I want to online shop for shoes. Like I'm not and I'm not doing what I'm meant to be doing because I'm trying to distract myself, whether it's boring mm-hmm. or whether for whatever reason, it's not resonating with me and I feel uncomfortable. So I know when I feel that warm bo- feeling in my body of like, this is great. This feels incredible. And when I feel like this is not what I'm supposed to be doing. And there's so much conversation at the moment, I think even inside of like big corporations where you should be enjoying what you're doing. It's it's almost like a, a right, but it's not a right that everyone has or, or you know, a privilege of finding that thing that really drives you. But you're also probably continuing working, you know, late into the hours of the night because you're just really enjoying what you're doing. You're getting so much back from it as well. Yeah, I actually work in the very early morning uh, hours of the morning. So I, <laughs> I'm one of those people who wake up and I start working, but I definitely am. I get, I'm a morning person, so I get a bit pooped out at the end of the day. But I do wake up super energized Mm-hmm. Every day, even on our hardest projects or even in times where things have felt tough, I do wake up every day energized about what I'm doing. And that's so lucky, Joe. I am such an incredibly lucky human that I feel that way. Yeah. And I'm lucky to be a morning person. I wish I had some. <laughs> It's not a choice, but like ask me to stay up, like you're saying, uh, you know, when you go to conferences and it's like, oh, we're meeting, you know, for dinner at like eight. I'm like, oh my gosh, I am in bed. (laughs) I feel like I'm the exact opposite, but you know, it like going back to the point you made before, it's about really understanding yourself and where, where you have your energy and how you can, you know, best funnel it. I'm wondering then, I mean, this wouldn't have all just come out of the blue one day, right? Where you're like, hey, I want to start my own business. I, you know, I... I can venture off and do that. It's probably something that you grew up with and that was, you know, something that you experienced bits and pieces of that entrepreneurial spirit that you were talking about throughout your childhood. Yeah. Yeah. I would say, you know, given the fact I spend a lot of time with entrepreneurs now, I do notice two things that a lot of us have in common. One is we have family who were business owners of some kind, whether they were actual entrepreneurs inventing something brand new my parents were both business owners and that my dad started an accounting firm with three of his friends in Chicago in 1971. And they ended up growing it to 500 accountants and selling it to H&R Block in 2001. So I grew up with this very client service mindset, hearing all about my dad's clients. And then my mom um, started a real estate company and she was a real residential real estate broker and still is. So both my parents were business owners in client service. And my business partner, um, Erin Kappelhoff, that I work with at Eatwell Global, her parents owned a uh, plant uh, store in Florida. I also noticed a lot of entrepreneurs are also only children, which I am as well. Mm. So I think there is something to be said there for this idea of being an entrepreneur involves a lot of confidence, a lot of focus kind of on driving you towards yourself. And I think that there's something about that combination. I've never done, I've never seen studies. Joe, maybe, you know, your researcher, maybe we can pull some studies here (laughs) to connect uh, the difference between, you know, how many entrepreneurs are only children, but I think it's often the case. Yeah, it's it's really interesting. I'm currently reading Originals by Adam Grant and he does talk about original ideas coming from, 
the youngest child. And I think that there is a part of it that comes from the only child because you're playing multiple roles where you're, you have to be more responsible, like the older child, but then you also are trying to like establish yourself and rebel against what you're told that you have to do like three children and one. And I know as the youngest child, I feel I, I really resonated with that when I read it because I felt like there's so much in me that wants to not necessarily rule break, right? But but that wants to find like a different way of doing something and, and think a little bit differently versus what has been passed on to me with full respect of what has been learned by the people that came before. But it's, it's almost like that slant towards what you were saying before is that I think courage, like you're talking about, you need confidence, you need to believe in yourself. You also need to be a little bit of a risk taker, right? <laughs> yes, <laughs> definitely. It's, I love how you're saying that. I definitely joke about my inner rebel that even at this age, you know, I've raised two children, um, you know, I shouldn't be still rebelling, but I think sometimes my entrepreneurial <laughs> acts or my, my great act of rebellion uh, that I do these days. Yeah, that's true. You are still, you know, kind of rebelling against the convention, even that you were just saying, Joe, of the fact that you might one day work for a corporation and you're probably not going to like your job or, you know, you're going to have, um, I heard somebody say this phrase and I hadn't heard it in years. I was like, wow. And she said, same, you know what, different day, uh, mm -hmm. you know, and I was like, oh, wow, I forgot about that. So there's kind of this, this idea that you're maybe going to not like your job and you're going to have to just grind through it. And you're going to have to show up. And mm -hmm. I think my act of rebellion is like, actually, I'm going to really like my job. <laughs> there's nothing you can do about it. <laughs> and if you do, I'm out of here. I'm starting my own business. <laughs> exactly. I'm going to play in my, my own sandbox. I'm going to make my own sandbox and I'm going to go play in it. I love that. So I want to talk about confidence for a little bit because I feel like confidence is something that I think we often associate it with a lot of different things, whether it's like resilience and, you know, finding your own strength but also a little bit of ego and, you know, these um, people that go out and they put themselves out there and they have like a reputation for gaining attention and what is their intention behind it. So I feel like the, the word confidence just comes with so many connotations and associations. But one thing that I think we can agree on is that confidence isn't easy to gain and it's easy to break. So yeah. how do you build up that resilience and your own confidence? How do you overcome some of those days where you're not feeling it? Mm -hmm. Such a great question. As I mentioned, I've raised my daughters and I have a friend who's moved in with us and she is a comedian from Ireland. And she often jokes about Americans' unearned confidence that we have. Like Americans have this incredible <laughs> confidence that we don't actually really deserve. <laughs> so I just think about that. Uh, that, you know, we kind of have this swagger, especially New Yorkers. I think New Yorkers are like the kings and queens of, of confidence, which I think we are. But um, no, that's a really great question. You know, I reflect back on the fact that when I was in high school growing up, I definitely was very not of the crowd, very kind of odd. In fact, my senior year high school, they asked where you think you'll be in 10 years. And I actually said roadkill, which I can't even believe I thought of myself <laughs> so horribly that oh, I was goodness. like, I didn't do well in school. I really, I was asked to leave multiple times. I went to a nice private school. I was asked to leave. You know, I really, and I just did not have a lot of confidence. Um, I felt 
very less than everybody else. And something really changed for me when I was in high school. I started working at Starbucks. I don't think I was telling you this story when I was in uh, 10th grade. It was 1990. It was like the 26th Starbucks that opened. And I was just looking for a part-time job. But I found this confidence in myself that I was, I became an assistant manager when I was like 17, which I think is so funny now. I had keys and I counted the money. I mean, like, I'm so responsible for this. Sorry, I was listening. Luckily, Starbucks turned out okay with or without me. Um, but yeah, so I think I was able to really find that inner confidence that that really shined in me. So I think reflecting back on those moments in your life where you saw you had a lot of doubt about yourself and then reflecting in those moments where you really saw that you could shine. So for me, that was drinking coffee and and I I have a lot of personality. So, you know, I had lots of friends there and it was just this wonderful time for me to really tap into myself. And that, that experience really changed my life by far because A, I learned about business. B, I learned that just because everybody else is making a coffee company does not mean that there's not room for more coffee companies. And I learned that I'm a really hard worker and that's really valuable for me. So later in life, I can reflect back on that experience and see that I need to be doing things that are warmer, warmer, like that experience felt for me. And do what you can to try to, to be in that flow when you can. Be around people who support you. said hard work because I feel like luck plays a a really big part of our lives and the opportunities that come our way. But hard work is almost like the bedrock of success. And I imagine that you need to put in a lot of hard work (laughs) (laughs) when you're starting your own company. And so in preparation for this, I had some stats. Like I know everybody loves startup stats because there's just failure (laughs) left, right and center. Right. So 20% of startups close within the first two years, under 50% make it to the fifth year, around 30% make it to 15 years. And can I add two more stats, Joe? Mm, Please. In in the US, only 4.7% of women-owned businesses make it to a million dollars in revenue Mm. and less than 1% make it to 5 million in revenue of women-owned businesses. And obviously my Eat Well Global Business is a woman certified, woman owned business. So that mm. also feels like we have an extra, yeah. you know, extra, extra low chances of being successful. <laughs> Astounding. Astounding. Isn't that crazy? Um, still today. Still today. Yeah. So let's talk about that for a second then before we go back to the other question around yeah. hard work. So how do you how do you feel that as a as a female founder or a female business owner like and I'm I'm thinking like beyond the statistics how do you feel that day to day or do you not feel it anymore because you are successful Yeah I feel I mean the field that I work in is female dominated right nutrition is a very female dominated area comms is a very female dominated area I do not share. I often hear women say, I walk into a boardroom, I'm the only woman. You know, mm. we're all excited if any man shows up at any point in time because <laughs> we're, <laughs> I'll be on calls, you know, with 12 women. So I so I don't feel it day in, day out because I don't see it. It's more when I'm part of this broader entrepreneur conversation and I go to certainly food tech events or I hear the kind of funding that men handily Mm. (laughs) secure (laughs) and feel very confident about uh, getting that. I feel it more so. So I'd say, 
I'd say I don't feel it day in, day out because of the field that I'm in, which I'm really grateful for. It's not mm-hmm. um, exceptional for us. But I would love to talk a little bit more about the hard work. And that's a great question. Sorry, I derailed you a little bit there, but I always tell everybody that statistic because everybody should know that. So I feel it's a bit like, I know this is a very, very lame analogy, but (laughs) it feels like hiking, honestly, like you're hiking, you know, like you literally can either sit and look at the giant mountain and think, OMG, how am I ever going to get to the top of it? Or you can just look down at your feet and just look to the next time you're going to stop and get a water break. And you just keep day in, day out, wake up, put your boots on, walk as far as you're going to walk, you know. Think to yourself, okay, this is all I have to walk today. And then three years in, five years in, seven years in, 10 years in, you look up and think, whoa, <laughs> look at the ground is so far away. Uh, and then you think, well, how far do I want to go? Like, do I want to go to the tippy top? Do I want to just mm-hmm. stop at a place with a beautiful view and enjoy it? You know, who do I want along with me? So again, kind of a lame analogy, but I have felt it because I do have many moments, many days where I'm just prioritizing what the key thing is I have to do that day. I'm just working through. And then all of a sudden we'll have a moment where we have an offsite or I'm on a team mm-hmm. call and there's 20, you know, three people there that are core team members or, you know, will be involved in a really high profile project. And I stop and look around and think, wow, look mm-hmm. at you. You thought you were going to be roadkill and here you are all the way at the top <laughs> of this particular <laughs> peak. And also, of course, you know, most importantly, the awesome people that are part of the journey with me, because I could not do absolutely any of this alone in a million years. So I think that's the best analogy. And I think on the hard work front, when you think about how am I going to get to the top, you're never going to get there. And if you just think about how far do I have to get today or how far do I have to get this week, it's much easier. The ability to stop and appreciate the views from the top of the mountain um, and have that moment of not not like a a flippant pat on the back. It's not selfish to stop and go, hey, like I've achieved a lot. Good on me. And I want to go further and I want to learn more and I want to support other people to get here as well. But just to have that moment of pause to reflect on how much you have achieved, I think is really important going back to your point about understanding your own resilience and how you can achieve probably more than you sometimes feel like you can at the start. I think that is so beautifully said, Joe. Honestly, you have to stop and look when you go through those hard times, you just want to be like, I want to forget that. I never want to think about that again. (laughs) And when you go back and say, look at what we did, look at what Mm -hmm. I did, look at what we did, look at how we did it. You know, that gives you the courage that when the peaks, you know, whatever, I'm back on my analogy, but you know, when it comes again, you're, you're ready for it. Cause you know, you've been through it before and you know, you're going to be okay. And I, the thing I tell myself, I I'm a big writer. I write, I write every morning when I wake up at like the crack of dawn, I drink like eight cups of coffee and I write in my journal and <laughs> maybe just three. Um, I really focus on no matter how scared I feel about things that are happening, I always think I'm not doing this alone. I'm not doing this alone. Mm-hmm. I have awesome partners. I have an incredible team. I have family. I've, you know, I'm never doing this alone. And so I think that's when that resilience comes. When you know you're not doing it alone, you're going to be fine. I really love that you're giving the recognition of your team, right? Because you're your business now um, has how many how many people? We I think I think we're 23 FTS. And hopefully soon to be 24. Amazing. Amazing. And so there is one thing that I'm really curious about because Eat Well Global is also about promoting healthy nutrition, but also, you know, mindfulness. And I think that there's this 
idea of startups that it's all about like this high stress, high anxiety habitat, like high pressure. So how do you make sure that that doesn't filter through into, I was going to say the workplace, it's not a place, but you know, <laughs> the, the, the broader organization and that you don't like lean too much into that high pressure culture association that comes with startups? Yeah, that is such a great question. You know, I talked and I think a lot, I like, I am not musical in any way, shape or form, but I think a lot about tone and I think a lot about what, what is the soundtrack of this moment? Is it blasting hip hop? Is it like, is it kind of just a bossa nova, like smooth jazz kind of vibe? And I'm always trying to get us back to that smooth jazz bossa nova like an upbeat tune that's like cranking but it's not like blasting how do we just kind of keep a really consistent tone we are not in a race i mean we are 10 years in and we have 20 some employees which i am so proud of but there are a lot of companies that are 10 years in and have 5000 employees and 10000 employees or no employees you know so for us we have really tried to grow at a pace that feels comfortable to us so I think really managing growth, keeping the tone of the leadership team, you know, we don't freak out. We just don't freak out, or at least not visibly to the team. Maybe we freak out in the bathroom by ourselves, which is the benefit of working at home. Um, but yeah, we try to really keep that tone consistent. And I do think, Joe, just to make a plug for virtual work, which we always have been virtual since day one, because mm-hmm. I really value, while I'm super extroverted, I value the opportunity to regain my energy by sitting on the couch, or sometimes I work in my kitchen, or just work in my backyard and not have the energy of everybody in the office around each other, because I think that creates a contagious energy that can be really positive. And it also can be, if somebody's having a really stressful day, mm-hmm. everybody can feel it. And I think it adds to, can add to a really stressful environment. Mm, yeah. It, that really makes me think back to, there were some days years and years ago before, before Mars, I should say, where the boss would come in in a bad mood and everybody's like, oh, here we go. It's going to be one of those days and everyone's walking on eggshells. And there's just that like you said, it just permeates instantly. So I used to actually share office space with another company. And when they were having a bad day, I had a bad day. I didn't even work there. And I was like, okay, I'm going to go back to my little energy bubble in my house with my like Boston Nova Jazz and my pets. And like, I can't, you're like, this is not helping me at all. I'm not even involved in this. Um, so I, that's why I, one of the reasons why I'm a big fan of virtual work. Um, I think it allows you to kind of adjust your environment in a way that has a lot less stress, I think, than being in an mm-hmm. office environment. Mm. I love that, Julie, because you're so in tune, I think, to yourself. And, you know, you were talking about temperament, tempo, tone, those things that mean that you have to really pay attention to how your energy levels are coming across to other people. But I imagine that when you're working with clients and big business where they don't maybe have that same level of (laughs) (laughs) self-reflection and particularly on a high stress, high pressure, short timeline project. How do you counter that? Yeah, we try to bring a lot of empathy. I think we have a lot of empathy for our clients because we generally, you know, again, as I, as I mentioned, our mission is empowering global change agents in food and nutrition. And for us, we see the change agents within large companies as being you know, that those are our, those are our key stakeholders because they're the ones that are actually going to make the change. We can make the recommendations, but they can make the change. So we have a lot of empathy, I think, for what our clients go through, because oftentimes 
they're the ones standing on a box yelling like, hey, we need to make healthier food. We need to make this change. You know, marketing's like, oh, we're making lots of money doing you know this. Uh, we've always done it. And, you know, there's mm-hmm. they have a lot of stakeholders. So I think for us, it's really about having that empathy um, for our clients and really trying to walk a mile in their shoes and and do what we can to make sure that they're they're as taken care of as they can be. And that is a result then we find ways to take care of ourselves so that we can take care of them. Mm. And when you are working with those big companies or those big corporations, I know that you you would you connect in with quite a lot with startups and entrepreneurs. So you, um, I imagine that you learn a ton from each other in those settings. What have you learned from big business, either in what to do or what not to do? Yeah. I mean, honestly, I love working with large companies. There's two reasons. One is, of course, the impact, because somebody like a Mars, obviously, or any large company, when you make a change, it makes a huge impact. Oh, there's three things. So that's one is the impact. The second is the professionalism. Um, We find that our corporate clients know how to work with us. They appreciate what we bring Mm. to the table. They show up for the calls. They (laughs) um, pay us. (laughs) Not that we don't love other startups, Um, but sometimes there's a professionalism that comes with the work and a professionalism with the teams that we work with that we just love. That even though we are small and sort of scrappy in a startup, we very much hopefully bring a very corporate hopefully the quality of the work that we bring is you know on par with our corporate clients as well and the third is that going back to my dad because everybody has their real why he read the wall street journal every single day when i was a kid i was always confused why he was you know he'd just bury his head in the wall street journal and he loved big business and he loved big companies and he passed very slowly it was a very long process and we would read to him and i would read the wall street journal to him and it was so fun during the time, it was right before our business really took off, but I'd say, oh, you know, an article about Abbott. Abbott's one of our clients, Dad, you know, and here he was no. like kind of in a half coma, but I know I could just feel how proud he was that I was working with these really large companies. So it feels really special to me. I'm getting a little choked up. Um, oh my gosh. How special, you know, that just... So it, touching. Yeah. I just, I think he, he, if he could see, he passed five years ago, um, but he could see where we are now. He's, he's just uber proud. Um, So those are those. That's That's my that's my one why, my two why, and my you know one of my real whys. (laughs) Oh, I love that, and you know you've you've linked it back into something that is so intrinsically about you as a person, and and you know what has what has shaped you from the way that he raised you, and what has kept that extra level of meaning for you, and um, it's it's so incredibly touching and. I'm getting a little checked up now. <laughs> he would have loved you. <laughs> oh, bless, bless. So, um, okay. So one thing that I did want to touch on is, so your your dad was an accountant and your mother is a real estate broker. Yes. And you're doing something quite different, similar in a lot of ways, but different. And one of the things that I love is that Equal Global is a B corporation. Yeah. So you've almost taken it to that next level of, you know, really thinking about the impact that your corporation makes on the world. Going back to that word impact that you used before. So why is that? Why did you decide to to sign up to the B Corp? And for anyone that doesn't know B Corp, maybe you can share a little bit about what that is. Yeah, absolutely. So basically becoming a B Corp is a certification process that you go through where you have committed to 
to the world that you are creating an impact beyond just revenue. One of the things that I love the most about our opportunity to become a B Corp is they really helped us with our policies. Because we're a brand new company. We're thinking, okay, what are we going to have for our mat leave policy? What are we going to do? As a startup, it's a great opportunity to have a lot of policies sort of written for you so you don't have to spend a lot of time thinking about it. And mm. then I'd say on the hiring front, it's great. I mean, a lot of our young team members are very, I mean, everybody, uh, not even our young team members, even our older team members, although I am technically the oldest team member we have. Um, they also, <laughs> including myself, are excited that we are a B Corp too. So I think when we spoke last, you mentioned that you had hired a lot of people inside of your team from big corporations or from, you know, other industries. So I imagine that you do that in part so that you can, you know, make sure that it's, you're hiring talent that understands business challenges, et cetera, but also so that you're bringing a lot of fresh thinking and fresh ideas into the organization. Absolutely. That's a great question. Our team is mostly dietitians. Um, so we kind of already have, I don't want to say a parallel of thought, but Dietitians tend, and we'll all say this about ourselves, we definitely tend to have a certain, you know, high quality kind of quote unquote type A personality. Mm -hmm. uh, but I think for us, you know, we work as an agency, but we really don't kind of consider ourselves an agency or kind of we have an anti-agency mentality because, you know, there is a lot of baggage around agencies. Sometimes there's a lot of, we mm -hmm. hear a lot of stories from clients. There's a lot of bait and switch. You know, you get sold a senior person and then you get somebody who's brand new. People don't understand your industry. Sometimes there can be a lot of drama. There's a lot of turnover. There's ego. There's long hour, you know, all that. So yeah. we have really focused on bringing sort of just the best minds together and try to leave a lot of that kind of mentality behind. And a lot of us don't have background in agency life. So we've kind of made up our own version of what we imagine an agency to be like, because we didn't really have a template for it. Um, we've come to find like, we've probably done, you know, we've done okay with it. So the diversity of experience and expertise, but also the diversity of thinking and having that opportunity to come together. And I imagine you guys have some really awesome brainstorming sessions and powwows, like particularly when you do get get together. Yes. I know that you haven't gotten together for a little while because of the pandemic, obviously. I but. know. We're so excited. And of course, we have the best Slack channel recipe going, you know, <laughs> of food. Everybody's on Monday morning. Everybody posts, you know, what they ate over the weekend and uh, just oh, an incredible awesome. diversity of food interests. And again, being a virtual company, we're all, you know, we're kind of, we're all over the world. So everybody brings, mm. you know, kind of their own fresh food from the corner of the globe uh, and we all salivate. Oh. <laughs> Oh, that's awesome. Um, it's like, it reminds me of when in the office we used to have like multicultural food day. Like, everyone brings in a dish from their parts of their, you know, their, their background. And, Did you and bring, their culture. Was it, is it Lemmington's? Is that what it's called? The Lemmington's. Lemmington's. Isn't that a cookie? Is that right? <laughs> it's like a sponge cake yes. that's coated in coconut. It's amazing. Um, but I would actually bring in Polish food because I'm Polish. So I would bring in the food that nobody wanted to. <laughs> I mean, Maybe I'll edit that. Is, My mom would be very upset. <laughs> there's a very hot pierogi shop around the corner from me in Brooklyn that has awesome pierogies. Yes. Yes, maybe I should move to Brooklyn and be with my people. <laughs> Please, you're always welcome. So there is one thing I wanted to ask you going back to the point that you made at the very start around augmenters and, and very linked into what we were just saying, right, about nurturing talent inside of the organization. And I guess part of that would be, 
you know, making sure that everybody who is joining Eat Well Global feels like they're, you know, they have a voice and they can build their skills and they can develop themselves inside of the organization and all of those wonderful things that come with mentoring. I can already tell you that you would be an amazing mentor, but what is it, what is it about that that motivates you to do that? Yeah, it's so interesting. It's such a funny thing that sort of happened right before the pandemic. I was asked to speak at a class at Tufts, which is my alma mater, but they have a nutrition school. And I was asked to speak at the food and entrepreneurship class. And I got there March 11th, 2020. So right before everything shut down. And I ended Mm -hmm. up really connecting with the guy who's teaching the class, who is a total entrepreneur. He has businesses in you know every different sector you could ask about. And we became fast friends. And during the pandemic, during lockdown, we would just chat sometimes on Fridays and both realized how much we love mentoring others. And it's very selfish of us, I would have to say, for both of us, because we just love being part of other people's experiences and being able to kind of show up for each other. And we saw that mentoring is a bit of a lost art and that people don't necessarily know how to ask for mentors. People don't know how to be mentors. There's no real shared language for it. It's sort of this kind of relationship that a lot of people have, but they don't, you know, there's no like movies about mentoring or there's like (laughs) no national mentor day or what have you. So we thought, well, let's just let's just get some content rolling. And again, as totally unearned confidence entrepreneurs, we just threw up a website, you know, grabbed a logo and off we were going and started this podcast. But we are having such rich conversations with people about what their mentors have meant to them, what they've learned, how they want to give back. And um, we're excited to just kind of shine a light on it. And I, and both of us, uh, Jimmy Edgerton is my other partner, and both of us feel more confident as mentors now. So I think there's a little bit of an element of just having a little training and having a little bit of confidence in you know, how to mentor, I think, is helping people feel more open and comfortable with it. I think sometimes people feel, mm-hmm. well, I don't know how many going to share. I might say the wrong thing or they might, ask, they might ask me a question I don't know the answer to. So we kind of, you know, expel, expel those myths or help, you know, dispel those myths so people can feel more confident. Mm. And, you know, I think a lot of people who are maybe more junior or are starting out are scared to reach out to people that are very, you know, successful and experienced because they feel like, you know, like, of course, they're not going to want to talk to me. I'm I'm a, you know, (laughs) I'm a nobody. But uh, that's why it's so nice to hear you say that for selfish reasons, it's also really rewarding (laughs) for the successful people to be there to give that guidance. And actually, like you can tell that you're very motivated by that, by providing a little bit of structure and, and assistance to people who are wanting to be better mentors and people who are reaching out that want to improve themselves by learning from others. Yeah, it was so we actually just interviewed the CMO of Campbell's and she said I often say, you know, my door's open, please come, mm. you know, talk to me. And she said and then nobody does. And my feelings are kind of hurt. <laughs> and when I she digs in, that. it's like because people just feel like, oh, I don't want to bother you with maybe yes. I have a problem and she's like, no, I wasn't kidding. Like she's like I'd really like to talk to other people and hear about them. Yeah. So I used to hear that all the time from senior leaders in pretty much every organization that I'm a part of. And I would be that one person that would knock on their door randomly and say, can I grab a coffee with you? I mean, I still I still do it. And I feel like a little bit awkward about it. But at the same time, I know that that's 
that's what they want. And that's what gives me, it'll give me a lot of energy and it'll help me. And it's a mutually beneficial relationship. I'm sure that if they had like a hundred people in the company <laughs> knocking on their door, they might pull back on that. Uh, that offer, well, but... it takes humility. It takes humility on your part to say, you know, I have a question. I have something that I'm struggling with and I don't, you know, mm-hmm. I'd love to get your opinion on it. And I think I, I, actually what I love about having a podcast is you probably do too, is it's just a great opportunity to hear from people and have these kind of conversations yes. in a, you know, a little bit of a more formal format, but it is a great way to, to get these insights also. Yes. And to share them as well, which it's not all altruistic, but it definitely is a bit, a big pull for me is to be able to hear the feedback that I have from people listening to the show. And hopefully we'll, you know, I'm sure we'll get some from people saying, Julie's amazing. <laughs> she was, she's just so like kind hearted and intelligent and um, inspirational. I'm, I can guarantee I'll get that, but I just love hearing that feedback of what people got out of it themselves. And everybody takes a little different nugget away from it. So that is incredible. And uh, I mean, what a perfect way to end on, Julie. Um, it's been so much fun speaking with you. I, I know Eat Well Global is all about empowering global change agents in food and nutrition. I feel like you are empowering in so many ways, incredibly inspired and, and honored to have you on the show. And with that, I have one last question yes. for you, which is what your go-to is when you're trying to push yourself to look outside. I would say this is kind of cheesy. I have to say the thing I missed the most in the pandemic was my conversation with my Lyft drivers because I travel a ton like you do too. And pre-pandemic, I was probably on the road every single week. So I spent a lot of time in the back of Lyft cars. And outside of New York, New York Lyft drivers tend not to talk, which is totally fine. People love (laughs) to talk. And I get so much out of those conversations. I feel like I'm almost always sent the person who's going to tell me exactly what I needed to hear. So I find conversations with people, you know, in every area of my life. But Lyft drivers seem to be the ones I have the most conversations with really help me get out of myself. Julie, it's been such a pleasure and such an honor. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you so much, Joe. I have enjoyed every minute and I can't wait to listen to so many more episodes and uh, continue to, to be a fan. So thank you. I hope that chat with Julie made you get warmer, warmer towards what gives you energy. Thank you so much for listening. As always, please share and rate the show. And until next time, keep looking outside.